Twitter handle, at Religion of Woke. All one word. Come on over and let's start a riot. So there's some police reform bill. I guess it passed the House. Um, it's not looking good in the Senate. But uh, in it is a ban on chokeholds. And I've been wanting to talk about chokeholds. And so I got a stat. Less than 1% of people killed by police are killed using a chokehold. So, I mean, I take from that, it really is not that deadly, I would say, because, you know, there must be cops using chokeholds every day, you know, hundreds, of, probably hundreds of times a day or something, right? Like, it's rare for a cop to shoot someone, but it's not rare for cops to get in a tussle with someone. And I think, you know, you got two cops on one suspect, uh, one of your go-to moves is a chokehold. So I don't know a ton about the uses of force that are, that are available to a cop. I think they have like three weapons, which would be batons, tasers, and guns. Maybe their car, too. And then they got, uh, you know, restraint things like handcuffs and uh, zip ties. And then they got their hands, their arms, you know, their legs, their feet. So there's something called uh, the use of force continuum. And people look at it to try and figure out if uh, the use of force was, you know, okay. And also, I think they, you know, they teach cops the use of force continuum so that they don't use too much force. They know how much force they can use. And you basically got to take into account um, the entirety of the situation. Like, you know, if a seven-year-old punches a cop in the leg, well... That's different than a, you know, 300-pound man punching a cop. You know, with a 7-year-old, you can probably use your hands and grab their wrists, you know, and maybe put them in handcuffs if they're going too crazy. But that's probably about all that you are justified in doing because they're not a threat to the cop. Now, if a 300-pound man, and I don't mean fat, is throwing punches at, say, a, uh, a small female officer, then... You know, that's completely different. You know, if she wants to use a taser, she can, but she can go straight to the gun in that situation because her life is in jeopardy. But so the use of force continuum, it basically goes with like milder uses of your hands and whatnot, you know, milder vi unarmed violence that you can use. And then uh, I think they go up maybe baton, then taser, then gun. So, you know, the unarmed part. That can be broken down into several things. Like I say, you can grab a seven-year-old seven-year-old by the wrist, but probably not much more. You can't put a seven-year-old in a chokehold, for instance. So I don't know. I don't know if this is how it really goes, but let's just say unarmed. Uh, the unarmed continuum would go like, you can grab them, you can hit them, and you can put them in a chokehold. So what that means, if you, you, know, if you pass a law saying no more chokeholds, then the continuum is going to go like, you can grab them, you can hit them, you can hit them with a baton, you can tase them, and you can shoot them. And I don't really hear about cops using batons anymore, so it's probably going to be grab, hold, tase, shoot. Sorry, grab, hit, tase, shoot. Anyways, so these things are like rungs on a ladder. And whenever you take out one of the rungs, then you're getting closer to the top of the ladder. Like if you pass a law saying you can't touch a suspect at all, then you're basically jumping up to a... Tase and shoot, and that's all you got. 
And tasers are known to, I think, do two things. Kill people and not work. I don't know what percentage of people die from being tased, but, you know, like if you got pre-existing, pre-existing conditions, it may stop your heart. And uh, as far as stopping the suspect, I think I read it's about 60% effective. You know, which is a heck of a lot better than nothing, but it ain't perfect. So what's the upshot? I think there's a good chance that uh, banning chokeholds will just lead to more people getting tased and shot and dying. So, you know, it's like defunding the police, right? You get the exact opposite result that you're asking for. So for the anniversary of George Floyd, the Intercepted podcast, which is for the Intercept, it's like an online magazine, I think, uh, they do an interview with a historian, Elizabeth Hinton, who wrote a book about uh, the 60s and maybe early 70s. And she doesn't call them riots. She calls them rebellions. I'm just going to call them riots. I mean, the, you know, she and the interviewer are both thrown around uh, white supremacy, systemic this, institutional that. Um, I'm always curious to hear, you know, like, you know, what is it, you know, what, what's the definition of that? Uh, you know, what's your evidence for those things? Anyways, obviously they don't provide any evidence or even definitions of it. They just throw the words around a lot. I guess it makes you sound smart. But anyways, there's some good information. Like, you know, what did go down in the 60s? Well, the first big riot was 1964, Harlem, New York. The cops shot and killed a 15-year-old, I guess it was a black boy, high schooler, and uh, boom, big riot. And I guess, the, you know, it started to be more and more rioting. So, you know, starts in 64, then 65, 66. Anyways, more and more riots. And then in 68, MLK gets killed. And that's when stuff really starts popping off. So from 68 to 72, just under 1,000 cities and towns had just under 2,000 riots. And it sounds like they were mostly 68, 69, 70. So I don't know what date King was killed, but apparently the riots started in May and June 1968. So that's interesting, right? Like May and June is the time to, whatever, do a bunch of rioting. That's what happened in 2020. You know, I guess the weather is good. If you're in the northern cities, you don't want to riot when there's two feet of snow. So this lady's smart. I like how she uses the word rebellion. Like, even though I'm going to keep saying riot because I don't give a you-know-what, but she can't write a book and use the word riot you know, five times a page for 300 pages. Because it's a history book. I mean, you know, she's she's saying all the right words, uh, systemic, institutional. But uh, she's also saying, you know, in this rebellion, this many civilians got killed. So I think that's a good workaround for her. That's a way to kind of be able to talk about it without getting canceled. I like it. And so she talks about the, the war on poverty. So like LBJ was president, and he was starting up this real big war on poverty. I mean, you probably heard of it. What happened with the war on poverty? Well, right when they started doing that, they had riots all over the country. Baltimore, D.C., L.A., etc. And somehow, however the funds for the war on poverty were allocated, it was easy for them to just switch it from war on poverty over to uh, helping the police. Lady's kind of funny. She's like, yeah, in response to this rebellion, they started teaching 
police officers' anti-riot techniques. So in 68, I guess the, Mar the MLK riots were dying down, but uh, that was the start when um, police started getting, you know, different kinds of gear. So they were given stuff, you know, left over from the Vietnam War or stuff that wasn't being used. And I think they were also like tear gas, like cops didn't have tear gas before 68, but they got tear gas and other things like that. They also got um, riot helmets, they got batons, they got bulletproof vests, and that's when they started getting helicopters. And also initially, I guess before then, right, it was just the biggest cities got this stuff. But now like cities and towns all across America were getting this stuff, army surplus stuff. It's kind of like in 64, they're like, okay, we're going to make everyone equal under the law, and we're going to start helping poor people. Oh, never mind, we got a bunch of riots, let's deal with that. It's like 2020, like, okay, all of America agrees, that cop is a murderer. Let's start working on police reform. Oh, never mind, riots. Okay, in 67, I guess there was an extra bad riot in Detroit. And so uh, LBJ created something called the Kerner Commission. I think at the end of this podcast, maybe I'll throw out some numbers on how many people died in these riots. Like, I have no idea. Was it one? Was it 100? Okay, so this is interesting. The results of the Kerner Commission, you know, they said uh, there's white racism. And that's a problem. But uh, anyways, their result was that America is becoming unequal, right? This is like right after they did the civil rights bills and stuff. I guess the idea is that was when we were the most equal, even though it may, we may not have been equal under the law, but we were the most equal. And in fact, we weren't that segregated. Like you hear about people resegregating, you know, whatever, since segregation was a law. And so I guess this is part of it. And so anyways, maybe I guess because of the riots starting in 64, all of a sudden, uh, white people and black people were not wanting to live next to each other anymore. I don't know if that's because it may not have been what black people wanted. It might have been white people saying, uh, I'm getting out of here. Maybe goes along with the theory I have, which I don't have proof for it, but I think a lot of the, I think a decent chunk of the black-white wealth gap is because of the riots in the late 60s. Basically, those neighborhoods, you know, the neighborhoods got burned down. And the people with the, the way people make wealth is they uh, have a house. They have a house that's worth a lot of money, and then they, they are worth a lot of money. But no one wants to live where there might be a riot, and no one wants to live where, you know, there's no stores. All the stores become boarded-up buildings. And, right, like, black people don't want to live there either, so white people don't want to move into that neighborhood. Black people want to leave that neighborhood. Supply and demand says that there is no demand for any of it, so the value of it goes to crap which actually reminds me of a study they did a study on gentrification and like it's one of the things that makes black people the richest is when one of their neighborhoods gets gentrified because they own a house you know you own a house in brooklyn and since the 70s and all of a sudden you know houses in brooklyn are now worth an average of two million dollars uh well you're rich okay so the end result of the kerner commission was that if you want to stop the riots you got to put a ton of money into uh, poor people in the cities, basically. You got to give them jobs and health care and, you know, the stuff we're still fighting about today. But, you know, so that was 67, 68's when the riots really went off and then all the money went to police.
And so the lady, uh, you know, she's like, imagine if they had done with that uh, commission recommended. You know, we would, maybe we'd be in an America that's, you know, wonderful today. And she might be right. I don't know. And anyway, so she lays, you know, there's no blame on the rioters, in her opinion. All the blame is on structural, institutional, and even personal, some, some you know, racism or whatever. And maybe she's right about that, too. But it sounds like if black people hadn't started rioting so much, 64 and especially 68, they were about to get a bunch of money, you know, the, whatever. The federal government was going to try and see what they could do about poverty amongst black people in the inner city. And anyways, we never got to see what that would, you know, would that have worked? We don't know. Like, you know, welfare, I don't know if welfare works or not, but some people think welfare actually made things worse. So, you know, would this stuff have worked? I don't know. I mean, jobs, I don't see how a job could hurt, but who knows? You always get these unintended consequences. But I don't know. The riots kind of seem to me like, you know, it's like someone who lives in a house and they're like, the world's not fair. You know, stuff ain't right. And they're correct. And then they go, and I'm going to burn down my house to show you how serious I am about this. And then they burn down their house. And you're like, you know, I think I believed you before, but I definitely believe that you are serious now. Burning down your own house. I mean, that's serious business. I believe you are serious. But unfortunately, the way the world works is not like, oh, he was serious. He burned down his own house. Now we're going to fix, you know, the, the, the problems he's talking about and give him a new house. Nope, you just, you know, whatever. People believe you're serious and you got no house. So then the history lesson continues and they start heading towards the present. And apparently there was a crazy riot in 1980 in Miami. I never heard of it. Uh, whatever. I guess if you're interested in reading about riots, check that one out. Wait, they did say something interesting about it. So that one was, uh, you know, some cops killed someone and the riot started when they were acquitted. Not when the killing happened, but when they were acquitted. You know, see how things have changed. In 2020, now the killing happens. Yeah, you're going to get murder, but start rioting right now. And obviously the 1992 L.A. riots, right? That was, that was when the cops were acquitted. You know, times have changed. It's just, these ain't, these ain't your grandpa's riots. Then they mentioned 2001 Cincinnati. I never heard of that one, but I guess they had a riot there. Same reasons. Uh, and then they get to uh, BLM. So I guess that's the history of riots. Okay, so you know, at this point they're starting to get real into woke BS. But they still got some interesting points to make, which is that... So apparently from 64 to uh, 2001, these are all the famous riots, um, all those riots started with violence. And so they're saying that like the new... You know, the BLM riots are different because, you know, nowadays they start with peaceful protesting before they turn into a riot. Whereas back in the day, I guess you just started with a riot. So that was interesting. So this don't sound right to me, but I'm going to tell you what she said. Anyways, according to her, every single bit of violent rioting, you know, in the last six years was preceded by the cops getting violent. So every single time there was a riot, the cops did something. With like, you know, they went to where the protest was and they attacked them. And boy, that ain't true. It doesn't take long for me to think of examples where that ain't true. Well, this isn't a charitable riot to bring up. 
But there was this one in Chicago where a, uh, a black man shot himself in the head with a gun. And then he kind of crumpled on the street. The cops were called. They went there. They're like, you know, maybe poking at the body, right? There's a, there's a body, you know, there's a person with a gun crumpled on the street. You don't know if they're alive or dead. They're poking around. And uh, so the new, you know, the info went out on social media that the cops had just murdered another black man. And anyways, this is back when, like, you know, this is when the riots in general were in full swing. Like, people were ready to go riot, like, real quick. So I think it took, you know, maybe 12 hours or something for the information to come out uh, that there's no reason to riot here. This guy just committed suicide. But anyway, so in Chicago, they did a real quick riot, but it wasn't your normal riot. They didn't burn down their own house. They went to what I believe is called the Magnificent Mile. It's just like a... It's a street with expensive stores on it, like Louis Vuitton and whatnot. Anyways, and they went there, and they broke all the windows, and they stole all the stuff inside the stores. And then they went home, and it was real quick. And, you know, and they didn't riot the next day. You know, the next day they're like, oh, it was a suicide. But, hey, I got me so I got a nice Louis Vuitton purse I can sell on eBay for two grand. Okay, so at the end of the podcast, she's talking about, you know, what does she want people who read her book to take away? And the first thing she wants is for you to understand that reform is not enough. Reform of the police is not going to get it done. And then she makes an interesting point, which I don't think she knows she's making this point. But she's like, we can't reform, you know, the way to reform the police is we need better schools, we need health care, etc. So, you know, is that really reform of the police? That's more like reform of the criminals and whatever, and the non-criminals in the inner city, I guess. Anyway, she goes on. She does a long thing. She's like, we need better schools. We need better this. We need better that. We need a better third thing and a fourth thing. And like, I'm like, sweet. I'm like, I am ready to listen to all these suggestions that she has. But uh, then the podcast ends. It's something I noticed. Like, you hear politicians talk. You hear anyone talk about this stuff. Like, They very, very rarely have any sort of concrete answer. What they say a lot of times is, we're not just going to talk. We're going to, you know, we're going to do action. Action, not words. But then you like, you know, well, you read their words, and they don't specifically say what their actions will be. Then, of course, they never do any actions. I don't know. I hate that. All right, so I don't want to be a piece of crap leaving it like that. So, uh... I said this last episode, maybe I'll say this every episode, but uh, the number one thing that I know that is good for, like, young black people in terrible neighborhoods are these kind of military-style schools. It's like, uh, you know, sometimes they're segregated by gender, but they uh, they wear a school uniform, right? You're not, uh, you know, you're not a poor black kid who's got no, sh- no uh, you know, good shoes, kicks sitting next to some other black kid who's got some, you know, $400 Air Jordans, and he's looking down his nose at you. Everyone, you know, wears a school uniform, and so all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everyone's equal, as far as that goes. And the next thing is, is like, they do not allow misbehavior. Like, the good ones have, like, complete silence in the halls in between classrooms. Or sorry, in between classes. So you go from your, you know, this classroom to that classroom, and there's no talking in the halls at all. And I think they also like 
you know, they don't let you be on your cell phone in the middle of class. And anyways, you, know, you get the idea. And so my understanding is that studies of those types of schools show that you actually, you know, you, you help your students. You know, like, what are you trying to do at school? Well, you're trying to get a trying to get your kids to stay in school, so it works for that. You're trying to get your kids smarter. It works for that. Um, you know, less teenage pregnancy, whatever. So as far as I know, those things work. But because charter schools usually have teachers who are not part of the teachers' union, the teachers' union, which controls... I know they control the Democrats. I They probably control the Republicans also. Anyways, they're like, uh-uh, you ain't doing more charter schools around here. Especially if, like, they look good and we look terrible. That's not going to be good. So you can't even start. Can't even try it. So that's my that's my first recommendation. But, you know, that's one of those things. It's like, who hates, char- who hates the teachers' union? Republicans. And who loves them? Democrats. Now, what party do black people vote for? No matter what. Democrats. So, you know, it's like... Whatever. They're stuck on the same side and they can't get away from each other. Okay, so it looks like three of the top ten deadliest riots in the U.S. happened in the 60s. So I'll just give those. 1965 Watts riots. 34 people dead. And quoting here, 1967 Detroit riots. 43 people dead, 2,000 buildings destroyed, and 7,300 people were arrested, making it the mother of all riots that summer. Finally, L.A. riots, 92, uh, 63 dead. All right, I want to talk about systemic racism, institutional racism, and white supremacy, since this podcast is, you know, going through the 60s. So institutional racism... I think that, you know, the meaning of the word is changing, but it used to mean like, you know, the, in particular, the government treating people unequally because of their race. So, you know, slavery and Jim Crow, that was the government like specifically treating people differently. And in 1964, they outlawed treating people differently uh, on the basis of race and a few other things. That was the Civil Rights Act, 64. So I wish this lady would define, you know, what institutional racism is, because, you know, there's what it used to mean. I'm pretty sure she'd say it's still happening, so, you know, you, you, you know, you have to sit on the back of the bus. You can't use this water fountain. You can't go into this restaurant. Um, or, you know, restaurants are allowed to keep people like you out of them. So that was, you know, that was all understandable. Um, you know, what is it today? It's a little hard to say. Now, systemic racism... And they must have had that word back in the day, I guess. Um, it's more of a newer term, right? The system is racist, right? This is like where every single person in the system is not a racist person. Like, there is no racist individual. And yet, the uh, results of the system are unequal, so that's systemic racism. You know, although corporations and schools and whatnot are, you know, doing seminars for their white employees, you know which tell them that they're racist and they're part of systemic racism. So they kind of like to have it both ways, you know, is the system is racist even though no one individual is, and then they're like, and all the individuals are. So even if you think you're not, even if you've never done nothing, you still are. You can kind of use it however you want. And then white supremacy, right? That used to mean, like, a white person who thought that white people 
were better than black people. Or I guess that's a white supremacist. White supremacy would be the idea that white people are better than black people. That was pretty straightforward. But anyways, now it means kind of whatever you want it to mean. Like I said before, you know, your enemy is uh, contributing to white supremacy. You are combating white supremacy. So whatever that's going on, you just say that stuff. You know, so systemic racism in the 60s. Maybe, maybe a restaurant that doesn't let black people eat there would be systemic. No. I think restaurants still count as institutions. I don't know. Like this lady's complaining about um, the riots happened and then they started taking away money from helping poor people and starting to put it towards law enforcement. So, you know, is that inst- no, the feds did. Is that institutional or is that systemic? I'm not sure. I guess white supremacy in the 60s would just be like, you know, if there's just some white guy in Alabama who doesn't like black people, maybe. I don't know if that counts or not. You know, it's like, you know, what are the definitions of these things? What are the examples? What's the evidence? (laughs) If I'd ever heard it, I'd tell you. Well, okay, so the evidence they'll give you today for all three of them. They'll say all three of those things are real because they'll be like, look, white people are richer than black people. Boom. Done. You know, and if you point out that the average black person is 28 and the average white person is 38, and that older people are richer than younger people, then you get called a racist. Basically, you're not allowed to pick apart any of the things that they say. You know, like, cops kill black people twice as much as white people. And you go, yeah, but every racist kill proportional to the amount of violent crime that they commit. Well, and you're like, ah, they're not going to engage with you. You know, maybe they got Maybe they could have a reason why that ain't true or that ain't right. But anyways, they just call you a racist. So there was a video I saw going around um, on the one-year anniversary of George Floyd. Like a bunch of like local TV reporters went down to what's called George Floyd Square. This is the place where uh, George Floyd was murdered. And so there's a video of one of the reporters. He's like out there, kind of, you know, saying, "Oh, this is one year later." talking about what's happening and then about five shots ring out and he like ducks and gets the heck out of there and then it goes to the uh the you know the studio and they're like oh looks like our reporter is uh whatever can't talk right now and so they and then they move on but anyways it made me go to google and do a search for george floyd square wikipedia and wouldn't you know there's a giant article on the thing i mean there are you know, most wars do not have an article this long. But on the right, there's a little section for casualties. I heard something about this, but anyways, here are the casualties. Damien Chambers, Emez Wright, Lanisha Columbus, and Baby Lanisha. So a couple dudes got killed, and then a pregnant woman got killed, and the baby did not live. And uh, the shots that rang out when the reporter was talking, someone was taken to the hospital, but they lived. So they're not, they're not one of this group. So that made me want to go look up the Chaz Chop Capitol Hill Occupied protest thing they had in Seattle, because I know there was a shooting there. And it's interesting, like the, the George Floyd Square Wikipedia article... It, it's like an article on a war, and it has casualties listed right there, like the word casualties. Anyways, 
So the Chaz Chop one is not so nice. You gotta search through the page to figure out how many people were killed. It looks like the answer is only one. Well, yeah, anyways, one. Uh, a 16-year-old black male, Antonio Mays Jr., was killed. And a 14-year-old male was in critical condition with gunshot wounds. I think on that one, if I remember correctly, it was like they had like some sort of whatever, you know. Police can't go in there, so they make their own police. And I think maybe the police killed these two, you know, basically kids, whatever, two uh, non-adults. So Wikipedia has a couple other autonomous zones. They got an article, Permanent Autonomous Zone. You know, it's a bunch of like real famous stuff from the old days and then whatever, four things from 2020. So the other two were uh, the Red House Eviction Defense, that's in Portland, Oregon, and the Orisha Land, that's in Austin, Texas. And uh, sounds like there wasn't no murders at those. Uh, basically just a bunch of homeless people. Um, I think the Portland one's, yeah, the Portland one is still going. That thing's been going for six months or something now. And the one in Austin, Texas, they uh, they just, basically it was just a bunch of homeless people, and they took their stuff and they burned it, I think.